You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. Well, um, last week, Pastor Farrell actually launched us into a new series called Travel Light and Live Free. And at the very beginning of his message, he said, um, you have baggage, I have baggage, we all have baggage. And that is a true statement. We don't always start out life with baggage, but we sure do pick up a lot of suitcases and duffel bags and carts along life's um, journey. I love to travel. I get, I'm one of those people that get really excited when I have to pack to go to the airport. Um, I just think traveling is just really exciting, and I'm just wired to, to love it. But for some of you who might be a little bit younger than I am, um, I'm going to take you back in history and share with you that we didn't always have wheels on our luggage. There was a day in time when we literally had to carry all of our luggage. There were no wheels. So imagine no wheels. And some of you are going to remember these days. So we would go to the airport. Right. And we would be trying to get our bags into the airport and in getting our bags into the airport, not only were we weighed down with luggage, but we were also bumping into everybody around us, giving people bruised knees, bruised legs, knocking over people's coffee and really impacting a lot of people with our luggage. Aren't you grateful that God whispered to somebody about putting wheels on suitcases? I thank him for that invention on a regular basis. Our baggage can rob us of the joy of the journey. And that's why the Lord really wants us to unload our excess baggage. Several years ago, I was uh, coming home from a missions trip, and we bring back ministry supplies um, from our mission trips. And um, when we go to Nicaragua, I always take a lot of extra sunscreen for the team. And um, I had packed the tubes of sunscreen, but in my rush, I forgot to pack them in Ziploc bags. Anybody know where this is going? So when I got home and opened the ministry bag to put all the ministry supplies away, what did I have on my hands? A mess, an absolute mess. But before I could clean everything up and put my suitcase away, I had to do a little digging to find out what the source of my mess was. I had to find out what is this substance that leaked all over the place so I'd know how to clean it up appropriately well that's a metaphor for our lives in a lot of ways because sometimes we have to have the courage to take an honest look at what's in our baggage so that we can identify the issue and then clean it up so we can put that bag where it belongs Um, over the next couple of weeks we're going to look at common issues that we stuff into our suitcases. Today, we're going to unpack guilt. You might want to find two key scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and then Psalm 32. 
Noel Coward was a very famous playwright, and he is known for pulling a very interesting prank. He sent an identical note to 20 of the most famous men in London. And the anonymous note simply read, Everybody has found out what you're doing. If I were you, I would get out of town. Story goes that 20 men left town that day. <laughs> have you ever had a moment that you wish that you could have taken back? Have you ever had a lapse in judgment that you really regretted? Maybe you've said something or not said something, or maybe you've gone somewhere or not gone somewhere that you should have. Life is full of reasons to feel guilty. Everybody makes mistakes, stumbles, falls, and fails. The key question is, how do we respond to our blunders in life? Guilt, for the most part, is a healthy motivator. Anybody have an invisible fence in their yard? Nobody? Do people not have dogs? Um, well, people put invisible fences in their yards, particularly for the purpose of making sure that if their animal gets to a certain point in the yard, the animal gets a little jolt of reminder and alarm that they are getting ready to cross a boundary that is going to bring them harm, right? So healthy guilt, a lot of times, is a good reminder to us that we are about to do something or, or not do something that we really should do or not do. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow is a lot like good guilt. It's a healthy pain that alerts us that a choice we have made or about to make is going to cause us harm or bring distress to another person. Guilt is an emotion that we feel as a result of doing something we perceive being wrong. It can be constructive if it leads us to right actions and lessons learned, but guilt can be destructive if it's internalized. Guilt becomes excessive baggage when it's unresolved or becomes excessive. People who carry the burden of consuming guilt tend to continually blame themselves for their mistakes. It's like they get stuck in a cycle of a failure and they just can't get out of their pit of regret and remorse. People who are weighed down by guilt have trouble enjoying the present because they're too busy with their hands. One hand is constantly hitting the replay button and they play over and over again what they did, why they did it. They analyze it, they ponder it, and they get paralyzed by the mistake that they made. And then with the other hand, they carry around a baseball bat and they keep punishing themselves for what they did and beating themselves up with condemnation. Guilt cloaks people who believe the lies. Because of what I did, I deserve to be unhappy. 
I deserve to be punished. And God could never forgive me. But I bring tidings of great joy and good news today. If you suffer with unresolved guilt or excessive guilt or that kind of uh, condemning, consuming guilt, the good news that I have to bring to you today is Jesus came to set the captives free. And you don't have to carry guilt around with you. There's power in the word of God to bring us liberty. The writer of Hebrews gives us hope when it comes to unpacking our guilt. Let's read this Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 together. Have you read nice and loud? Therefore, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want to reread this scripture to you out of the message paraphrase. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let it not slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk upright to him and get what he is ready to give. Take the mercy, accept his help. To grasp the significance of what the writer of Hebrews is penning here and understand it in the context of guilt, we have to first unpack the meaning of why Jesus is called our great high priest. Today, those of us who are gathered in this room who have given our lives to the Lord and consider ourselves followers of Christ are priests. In other words, we have already been made priests, messengers of the gospel. We are able to take our concerns and the concerns of others directly to God's throne of grace. We're able to go to his throne with confidence, that scripture said, knowing that he will hear us. But it hasn't always been that way. In Old Testament times and in the times of Jesus... Um, there was only one person who was allowed to take the concerns of the people to the Lord. And that was the priests. These were men from a certain tribe, the tribe of Levi. And they were the ones who represented the people to God. And the high priest was the priest over all the priests. He was the overseeing priest. And there was a special assignment that he had every year. There was one service that only the high priest could conduct, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And the high priest had the responsibility of going to God, representing himself and all the people, and asking for atonement of all the sin of everyone. But it was a very sacred responsibility. 
because God is holy, there was a place within the temple that was called the Holy of Holies. And it was a place that only the high priest could go to. But he had to go in there in a certain fashion. So he would sacrifice bulls for his sin. That was his sin covering for his guilt of unholiness. And he would take the blood and he would place it upon the mercy seat, which was a representation of the throne of God. Then he would kill, he would sacrifice goats for the people's sin. Because all guilt had to be punished. That's why animals were sacrificed. It was, they, they took on the punishment. They sacrificed their blood for the sins, the unholy actions of the people. So the priest would take that blood and he would, for the people, and he would go in and he would atone for the people's sin and put the blood upon the mercy seat. He had to do this over and oh, year after 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 year. It was perpetually demonstrated to the people of Israel that God is holy and that they were not and that they were separated from God. And it was only by the shedding of blood that there could be an atonement, that there could be made amends for the guilt of their sin. It also was constantly demonstrating to them that they were not able to go to God on their own, but that they had to have a mediator that was made righteous, that was made holy through the sacrifice, and that that mediator would go in and represent them from God. But the writer of Hebrews ends up telling us that's not the way it is with you. Because unlike, unlike the Levitical priests who had to continually make the sacrifice in order to earn their holiness, we have Jesus who paid a price once on the cross, he took his blood to the mercy seat. He took his blood to the altar of God. And his blood only had to be shed one time for all of us to receive pardon from our guilt. One time. It was a forever sacrifice, as we sang earlier. It doesn't have to be repeated Jesus, the perfect and final sacrifice through his death, took care of the judgment all our guilt deserved. All of it. All of it. That is so powerful. In fact, I want you to turn to somebody and I want you to say, Jesus took care of all the judgment you deserved. Jesus took care of all the judgment. There's absolutely nothing we can add to what Jesus did. Somebody ought to be doing a tap dance on that one. We don't have to add anything to it. He said it is finished. And when he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. Now, there are three other significant reasons why we need. There are three reasons why we need to understand the importance of Jesus being our high priest when it comes to our guilt. First of all, because Jesus is our high priest, 
When we mess up, we don't have to hang our head or hide from God or earn repetitive pardons from God's judgment. Because Jesus is our high priest, when we fail, we can go directly to God 24-7, 365, and ask for forgiveness because the price of our past sin, present sins, and future sins have all been paid for on the cross. No exceptions. No exceptions to the, to the rule. Because Jesus is our high priest, we don't approach God like the Israelites did, shaking and trembling in their boots. We can approach God's throne of grace knowing that we have a mediator and an advocate that sympathizes and understands our weaknesses. The scripture said that he was subject to all the weaknesses and temptations that we struggle with. Therefore, he relates to us in our circumstances. And that's why we can confidently Go to the throne of God with our mess ups. Because Jesus is our great high priest, we can receive mercy and grace regardless of what we did do or maybe what we didn't do that we should have. First John 1 9 says this. Let's read this one together as well. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from how much? How much? All. All our unrighteousness. How much is all? What percentage is it? 100%. It is all. Jesus forgives all. Everything. He wants to cleanse you. Then he wants to strengthen you so you won't repeat the same mistake over again. I wrote something down over the weekend that I really feel is a word for somebody here today. And it's you can write it down. You can type it in your phone. You can text it to a friend. But this is the truth. Particularly for those of you who suffer from seeing God as a cosmic cop, a judge, a harsh judge sitting there just ready to give you tuberculosis, you know, for all your mistakes, that he's harsh and he's cruel. This is a word for you. God is not out to get you. God wants to get you out. He wants to get you out of the pit of guilt, shame, and condemnation. He gave you a rope of hope. And that rope is Jesus. Take what Jesus did for you. Grab a hold of it. And with rejoicing, receive his forgiveness today. Today is a day to offload the baggage of guilt. It's time to stop allowing what happened in the past to continue to define you. To offload the baggage of guilt, you need to apply a few principles in addition to understanding Jesus as our high priest. First, we need to embrace a realistic view of our imperfections and our sinfulness. Paul states the obvious pretty succinctly in Romans 3.23. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all going to mess up. We are all going to fall short. Many of us comfort others 
when they mess up, we comfort others and help them to unload their baggage of guilt by saying, it's, you know, understand, we all fall short, the glory of God. But then when it comes to us, we put ourselves in some kind of higher level of perfection and say, well, yeah, that's good for that person, but I need to be better than that. No, we're all going to have mess ups. In fact, have you ever heard the saying to air is human? Any humans in here? If you're a human being, you're going to err. You're going to make mistakes. So let's just make a predetermination not to berate ourselves, not pick up that baseball bat and take on excessive guilt when we make mistakes. Number two, we also have to admit our wrongs and then we have to receive God's grace while forgiving ourselves. Hebrews 10.22, let's look at that scripture together. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. One reason I think people struggle under the weight of unresolved guilt is because they sidestep admitting their guilt instead of owning up to their mistakes they blame others or they're blinded by just their own self-righteousness king david in psalm 32 he pens in psalm 32 his feelings of overwhelming guilt after the prophet comes to him and confronts him of his double sin of murder and adultery He writes, I groaned all day long. He couldn't get guilt out of his mind. It was gnawing at him, clawing at him. And in verse 4, he writes, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Are you here today with a sense of guilt about something in your past? Maybe a week ago, a month ago, 10 years ago, that... It just dogs you, and it is a burden that's bearing down on you. When David faced that kind of guilt, there came a turning point for him. He says in verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then he walked in this confidence. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. There's a story about a private during the time of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great's favorite horse had gotten away, had, had gone astray. And this private located the horse and brought it back to Alexander the Great. Well, when he brought the horse back to him, the way that Alexander the Great thanked him was he said, thank you, captain. That private became a captain with the words of Alexander the Great. So the new captain went to the place where you get uniforms and he ordered a captain's uniform. When he got the captain's uniform, he put it on and he went to the officer's mess and he ate with the captains. Then he went to the bunkhouse and he got a room for captains 
And he began to act like a captain and live like a captain. And some of the other soldiers started giving him a really hard time. And like, who do you think you are? You're just a private. He said, no, Alexander the Great thanked me as a captain. So therefore he said it. Therefore, I am a captain and I'm going to live like a captain. Well, we need to do the same thing when we read first John one nine and it says, if you will confess your sins, that Jesus is faithful to forgive us all, all our unrighteousness. We need to be like that private who became a captain. We believe we need to believe that it's written in scripture. Therefore, it's the truth. Therefore, we need to live it. We need to act like it. We are forgiven. It needs to become a part of who we are. We need to dress in that new truth. Over the 20 some years that I've been in full time ministry, I meet I've met with a lot of people who have heard about God's forgiveness. They can quote you scriptures on God's forgiveness. They understand that on the cross, Jesus forgave us of all of our sin. They know the story about the thief and how he went to be in paradise and he was forgiven. But they just aren't walking in the liberty of forgiveness. And I discover so many times that the reason that is, is because They haven't received God's forgiveness. They've heard about his forgiveness, but they've not received God's forgiveness. The world psychologists and all, we have the phrase, you need to forgive yourself. Personally, I think forgiving yourself happens when you receive God's forgiveness and you say, you know what? I'm not a better judge than God. I'm not going to stand over myself with a verdict that is stronger than the verdict that God has given me. I'm going to embrace the cross. I'm going to get off of the judgment seat and I'm going to receive what God said he has given to me. I'm going to receive forgiveness. I'm not going to deny the power of what Jesus did on the cross for me. If he says I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. Period. End of discussion. Now, after we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with God, sometimes we also then need to go and make amends, if possible, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's critical that we endeavor to make amends to the person or persons that we've hurt. We need to go to the Holy Spirit based on the situation and we need to ask him what the best way to bring healing is. What is the best thing to do? Sometimes, obviously, it's just maybe like editing a form, given that this is tax week. Somebody next week might be a little guilty for a number they put down that wasn't perfectly accurate. You know, sometimes we can make amends just by changing something and saying, you know what, I wrote the wrong thing down or, you know, I'm sorry, I should have given you this much money back in change. It's, it's a quick and easy thing. But other times we have to, we've harmed someone. 
We've caused a stress in a group setting. And so we have to go to the Holy Spirit. We have to ask him, how do I make amends? Is it sometimes it might be a letter you have to write. Sometimes it might have to be a phone call that you have to make. Sometimes it might be that you have to get another person and take them with you. And there's a group conversation. Sometimes we have to make amends financially. Sometimes um, we have to make amends by publicly saying something. It all depends upon the situation. So we need to go to the Holy Spirit, whose name is the spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom. And he will give us the wisdom and the revelation for what is best for that situation. But we have to seek his advice and then obey it. And then lastly, we have to refuse to believe the accusations of the enemy. Refuse. Most of the time, when we read the names of our adversary, the devil, in the Bible, his names reflect his strategies. So when you read his name, you have an understanding of how he harasses and torments Christ followers. And that actually happens. An example of that is in Revelations 12:10. Let's read this together. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now I have come, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, there's the name, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses, there's the strategy, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. His name is accuser. His strategy is accusation. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, when he convicts our conscience and we feel guilty, we feel guilt rise up, healthy guilt. The purpose of his conviction is to restore our fellowship with God. Remember we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 7.10 that godly sorrow leads to repentance. We feel that healthy guilt. It's a motivator for us to confess our sin to the Lord and receive the Lord's cleansing so that we can have full fellowship with God once again. But our adversary, the devil, he doesn't convict. He accuses and condemns. Because he wants to destroy our fellowship with God. Not only does he want to disrupt our fellowship with God, he actually wants us to despise ourselves. And that's why he wants you, when you do something wrong, he wants you to take on the label guilty. He wants you to see yourself as guilty. I'm a guilty person. And he uses accusations through others or also just whispers it to you himself. The accuser wants us to focus on what we've done, our actions, versus focusing on what Jesus did for us. Jesus' actions. The next time... The enemy hurls accusations at you and you get into kind of, have you ever been in the mental battle 
where you feel bad about something and then all this, then you start hearing all those words, you rotten, how could you do that? You're a Christian. You serve in the church. You're such a loser. How, you know, how ignorant was that? Everybody's just going to think you're awful. You need to hide that, you know, you're just going to wear this forever. Nobody's going to ever see you the same. Anybody ever have all that war zone going on in their brain? Well, that's the, that's the accuser coming at you. So when you, the next time you're in that war zone and the enemy is hurling accusations and condemnation at you, telling you that God could never forgive you and that you just need to go eat worms, um, I want you, I want you to pull out the sword of your spirit And I want you to repeat to him, throw back into his face, John chapter 8, verse 11. Before I tell you what that verse says, let me tell you the story. John chapter 8 is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Now, she was caught. There was no question what was going on. It was obvious. She was Guilty immediately. There was no innocent till proven guilty. She was proven guilty right away. And according to the customs of the time, her accusers had the perfect legal right to pronounce judgment upon her immediately. So they drag her out of the situation that she was in. They bring her out into the streets. They circle up the wagons. And they begin to accuse her guilty. And in their in their culture, they would have been allowed to immediately pronounce judgment upon her and stone her to death. But there was somebody else in the circle. Jesus was in the circle. So this group of individuals thought, wow, we get a twofer today. We can pronounce judgment on this woman. Make her pay. For the guilt of her sin. And we can trip Jesus up all in the same time. So they asked Jesus, what, do you, what are we supposed to do? It's interesting to me. Jesus doesn't deny that the woman's guilty. But he doesn't address what she did. What he ends up saying to this circle that's gathered around. He says, hey, if any of you have never committed a sin then by all means, go ahead and hurl your stone. And then he writes something in the dirt, which we don't know what it was. And when he finishes, all of her accusers walk away one at a time. I can almost picture it, can't you? I can picture high school, (laughs) a setting, one student Doing something really stupid, really foolish, a huge mistake. And everybody starts posting on Facebook. Can you believe what so-and-so did? What an idiot. In fact, they're using worse language than that these days. It's the same thing. It's on Facebook, but you still got a circle of people getting ready to hurl stones, pronounce judgment, guilty. Well, anyway, her accusers all part. And this woman is left in the middle of the street. And the only person standing there is Jesus. 
She's probably filthy, hairs all matted, tossed about, dresses probably ripped. She's been scorned. She's been humiliated. And she's probably so aware of her disgrace. And she's just laying there waiting for Jesus to lay the lecture on her. How could you be so stupid? Don't you know the rules? Why would you give yourself so easily to another man? What's wrong with you? Don't you have any morals? You should be ashamed of yourself. I'm sure her heart, she was braced for the pronouncement that her guilt may have deserved. But that's not what happens. Jesus doesn't lecture. He doesn't preach to her. He doesn't throw one stone. What he does is he just asks her a question. And he says, where, where are all of your accusers? And she says, Lord, nobody's here. No one's left. They're gone. And then in verse 11, this is what he says next. And this can be your testimony too. He says to her, I do not condemn you either go and sin no more go you see Jesus always meets our guilt with grace always meets our guilt with grace that's who he is Let's not give the adversary the satisfaction of holding us hostage to our guilt today. Let's not do that. Regardless of what's behind your label, guilty, based on what we read earlier in Hebrews, whether your guilt is in a backpack, it's backpack size or U-Haul size, you can take your guilt regardless of the size of your suitcase And you can drag it over and you can say, because Jesus is my high priest, because his sacrifice was perfect and his sacrifice was final. You that accuse me day and night and keep bringing these memories up to me and keep rehashing the tale of my mistake. I say to you, I am putting my mistakes on the cross and I am taking my guilt and I am nailing it to the cross of Calvary and I am not going to bear it anymore. Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has cleansed me. I am free. Free. You can do that. You can do that. You might not be able to wheel your cart, your suitcase, your, your luggage, your duffel bag up here today. 
But you can take that which is the guilt that is constricting your life and bearing down on you. And you can give it to the Lord today. You can nail it to the cross as easily as I fit that suitcase into that hole. You can do it. In fact, we're going to do it together. We're going to do it together. If the prayer partners would go ahead and come forward. So you're positioned after this prayer. I'd like for everybody to stand up. And what I want you to think about in a minute, I want you to close your eyes so that there's total privacy here. And I want you to whisper into your hand the issue that, that is excess guilt. I want, you to, I want you to whisper into your hand the mistake that you made that you keep hitting the replay button about. I want you to whisper into your hand the judgment or the decision maybe that you made a week ago or it may have been 20 years ago. But man, it just doesn't take very much at all for the tape to start playing. It doesn't take much at all for you to read the label on your heart guilty. What is it that is what is it that you are so guilty about that it literally torments you? I want you to speak that into your hand. Lord, I, I, I just I speak the issue, Lord. I, I lied to my parents, Lord. I lied. And then I lied again to cover up the lie. Or maybe the issue is you got to speak into your hand. Lord, I have spoken about some people at work that is just wrong. I have slandered. I have gossiped. I am. I, I'm speaking that, Lord. I, I admit it. I admit, Lord, that, that I'm holding back on the money. I, I'm not being totally honest with people on that financial issue. Or I cheated on that bid, Lord God. I, I wasn't accurate on it. Or maybe it's a relationship that you've violated in some way and you're withholding. You've not imparted righteousness in the way that you should. I want you just to, in the quiet of the moment, I want you to whisper it to God in that hand. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer in a minute that you can say... Any day of the week, I'm going to lead you through a prayer that models for you, that demonstrates for you all the principles that we talked about today. And you can use this prayer, this kind of prayer, whenever guilt begins to cloak you. Are you ready? Speak it into your hand. And when we get to the right spot in this prayer, you're going to lift your hand to the Lord. And you're going to imagine in your spiritual imagination, nailing the guilt of this issue to the cross. Repeat after me. Father God, I come to you today through the shed blood of Jesus, who died so I might be forgiven. For all my sins. Today, I confess to you the wrong I hold in my hand. I was wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. By faith, I'm going to give my wrong to you. Because according to your word,
You forgive me of all my unrighteousness. I will choose today to forgive myself for making this mistake. Holy Spirit, if I need to make amends, show me what to do. I choose today to not walk out of here carrying the weight of guilt upon me. I'm not going to waste what Jesus did for me on the cross. So right now, I give you this guilt, Lord. Just lift it up to him. I choose, Lord, to let go of the past since Jesus already has. Thank you, Lord, for taking my guilt. Now do with it as you please. In Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.